Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Elephant in the Room podcast. I'm Matthew um, and I love reading books. I love knowledge and sharing knowledge with people and I love learning as much as I can about things. Now, these podcasts will be me reading books um, to you that are not usually in in the uh, public sphere or not usually um, in the mainstream. Okay, so just to quickly, um, why this is called the Elephant in the Room podcast, right? Because an elephant in the room informal if you say there is an elephant in the room you mean that there is an obvious problem or difficult situation that people do not want to talk about difficult situations and unpleasant experiences okay so basically i will be talking about or reading books that people might find uncomfortable or not or um, often in the public domain okay um each book I will each podcast, sorry, will represent one chapter, and I, uh, obviously there will be depending on how many chapters there are, will depend on how big the book is, and how many podcasts there are, depending on how many chapters there are. Sorry, so if there is twenty-two chapters, then there could be twenty-two podcasts for that book. So be patient, and I hope you enjoy them. Also, I would like to point out that I am um, reading from the book, from the said source, and um, so please bear with me if I am not a professional reader. I don't work for any company regarding reading of podcasts or reading of audiobooks, so be patient with me. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy. I hope you um, learn and take as much as you can from from all these um, books I'm going to read. Um, the first one I want to read, okay, I'm hoping it's just only a small book, so I will be able to probably do it in one, in one audio book, and it's called You Have the Right to Remain Silent, A Guide to Not Talking mm-hmm. to the Police. By Rob Warner. (coughs) Excuse me. Silence is the ultimate weapon of power. Charles D. Gould. I apologise, it's not not the correct pronunciation of that name, but... (laughs) Here we go. You do not have to say anything, but if it may arm your defence... If you do not mention when questioned something later, which later you rely on in court, a police caution. Introduction. <clears throat> Understanding the law, even the basics, is a form of self-defence. Possibly the most important self-defence there is. However, until basic law is taught as mandatory in our schools, it is upon the public to educate themselves on what to do when it comes to encountering 
and surviving the police. Over the years, the author has written hundreds of articles on the subject, both humorous and informative, for his Crown Bodge website. In his e- this ebook, he expanded on one of the most vital and commonly misunderstood aspects of dealing with the police, your right to silence. In compiling this document, he strived to ensure that all the information within it is accurate and up-to-date, wherever practical, he avoided using complex legal jargon and instead of quoting swaths of legislation, he kept a basic list of the most relevant sources for the back of the book, all of which I would encourage you to read and research for yourself. Always research everything. Do not take anybody's word for anything, guys. Okay. <clears throat> everything contained within this work is written in good faith with the intention of helping the reader get a more comp- sorry, comprehensive grasp on their right to silence, particularly as it applies to British law. I do not advocate criminality of any kind, nor suggest that the information contained within should be used to help the lawless evade detection or defeat justice, nor would I knowingly mislead, misinform or impartly impart irresponsible advice. Now I just want to add here, if you go onto his YouTube page, Crime Bodge, and you will watch many, many different interactions with the police. Now I and the author, I, I obviously I don't speak on behalf of the author, but from what I've read from his books, do not have any problem with police officers. The only problem we have is bad police officers. Okay. And if you watch, go onto his YouTube page or his website and you will see the lot of them that do not understand the laws properly or, you know, go over there, what they're allowed to do when it comes to interacting with the general public. And a lot of them do not know how how to interact with the general public. Okay, back to the book. All I would ask is that you apply your own discretion and common sense to any situation that may involve exists exercising the advice outlined here. Other than that, I would invite you to visit the Crime Bob website where we are always happy to amuse, entertain, inform and assist. RobWarnerCrimeBodge.com <clears throat> All the content by Rob Warner 2014 Number one, reasons not to talk to the police. Whatever the circumstances... Encouraging and communicating with the police can be as daunting as it is unavoidable. What should or shouldn't we say when speaking with them? After all, they only want to hear our side of the story so they can catch the bad guys, right? And surely only those with something to hide would refuse to speak to the police. Besides, if you don't answer their questions, couldn't you land yourself in greater trouble if the matter went to court. However, as far as practical advice goes, not only does it pay to say very little when encouraging the, sorry, encountering the police, in some cases it pays to say nothing at all, as Ronan Keating once said. <laughs> who do the work, who do the police work for? Mm-hmm. And this is a very mm-hmm. interesting point within the book. 
The police were first established by Robert Peel in 1829 as a law enforcement agency working strictly with the consent of the people. Today, however, such a concept seems quaint. Ask any serving officer who is who it is they work for and you're almost certain to get the same answer each time. The government. <clears throat> and, regardless, and regardless of any fanciful notion or, democ- or democracy or voters' rights, the government is most certainly not the people. It is politicians who control the police through agendas and targets. Agenda set down by the government is predominantly populist, dictated by the whims of mainstream media and political fashion. There are rarely issues that affect us all and are instead issues that were at all matter, such as racism, domestic abuse, gay rights, religious intolerance, etc. Okay? The police effect the police's effectiveness of tackling gender is communicated through their targets. Targets that are only also determined by politicians such as crime rate, arrest rate, conviction rate and so on. Agenda and targets are the chief motivating factors of every police force in the UK. And it is through arrest, prosecution and detection that the police fulfil their statutory requirements. In other words, their function is to find the guilty, not detect the innocent. It is in it is an inescapable fact that a police officer's allegiance is to the government and that his prophecy, proficiency is determined almost exclusively by his ability to make arrests that lead to successful prosecutions. Without this, his job, reputation and his career are at threat. Is or her, sorry, I don't want to be... <laughs> are at threat. Therefore, it stands to reason whenever the police engage with members of the public, their primary reason for doing so, either directly or indirectly, is to help them make arrests. And therefore, no matter what you say, no matter how much above suspicion you may think you are, the police will not be listening to you to determine your innocence, but quite simply determine to determine your guilt which is why it pays to be guarded over every word you utter. You don't have to prove your innocence. We are social creatures at heart, and almost all of us feel an automatic urge to explain ourselves, especially when we feel we have been misjudged or wrongly accused. However, when it comes to the police, their default stance is nearly always that of scepticism or just outright suspicion. Hardly surprising when you, so much of what they hear on a daily basis is one-sided or at best outright lies at worst. Excuse me. But contrary to your fundamental rights, the police tend to presume guilt before innocence and expect people to explain themselves when confronted. It is not for you to prove your innocence. It is up to the police to prove your guilt. 
explaining yourself to the police can often be both fruitless and counterproductive. The more you try to convince them of your innocence, the more likely it is they will assume you have something to hide. Don't ever succumb to police insistence that you explain yourself, especially if you feel intimidated or nervous. Or, or just want to add something to this, or in particular, if you've been on a night out and you've had copious amounts of alcohol, then it's always best to say nothing at all because you are obviously speaking under the influence of alcohol, which they will take advantage of in every sense. Back to the book. Under pressure, it's very easy to have a lapse of memory or make a slip of the tongue, which could result in, a, in you saying something which sounds like a lie or is mistaken for an admission of guilt. The most uncomfortable you the more sorry, uncomfortable you feel is in the presence of the police, then the less you should say, especially when you have not been given the opportunity to speak to legal representative a legal representative beforehand. The more you talk, the more you risk. Think about it. The police arrive at a scene and suspect you of having done wrong. They ask uh, just a few casual questions and you do your utmost to convince them of your honesty. You believe in that police maxim. If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. So, you bombard them with facts, justification and backstory, all the while protesting your innocence. The police, meanwhile, stand there and nod, maybe jotting down a few key facts into their notebooks. Then, later on, back at the station, they have to fill in their report. Now, it comes time to remember what you said, and the problem is, there is a lot of it. So much, in fact, that the police just jot down what they consider to be the most important aspects of your verbal statements. Okay. The problem is, they heard so much, it's difficult to recall precisely what was said, so they write down what they think they heard. After all, you said so much, it's not likely you will remember much of it either. And what they can't correctly recall, they are all willing to to guess at. Just want to add to that, which is why almost everybody now should record any interactions with the police, either using a voice recorder or preferably mobile video recording. They don't tend to like that, but it's always best. So you can go over and you can present the video as evidence in court if necessary. Back to the book. And if several officers choose to pull their unreliable memory of the event, before long you may find words and phrases attributed to yourself that you did not say. So, make it easy on yourself from the start. The more you say, the more there is for the police to get wrong. Forget the altar Forget or alter and your silence, although difficult to maintain from the outset, may prove to be your strongest defence later. Again, I just want to add that, obviously, in any situation like that, the adrenaline is going to be pumping, it's going to be flowing. So, 
I always say practice breathing, slowing your heart rate down, meditation, help you calm, help you think rationally in situations like that. Because you may have all the knowledge in the world, you may know all the laws and legislations in the world, but if you if you if you if you're intimidated, if the adrenaline's going, you will not be able to recall it. And you will go away, you'll be like, oh, I had that question, I should have asked that, I should have asked that. Uh, which is again, which is why you're stating best safe. You say it best when you say nothing at all. <laughs> okay, back to the book. You cannot talk yourself out of an arrest. If the people approach you, if sorry, if the police approach you with a reasonable suspicion, important you remember that, reasonable suspicion, that if you've broken the law, they will, they will arrest you, plain and simple. They won't be interested in hearing your side of the story with an open mind or sympathetic ear. If they are still listening to you, it's probably because you don't have enough evidence to make an arrest yet. Obviously, again, they are fishing. Okay, back to the book. Never make the, the naive assumption that you can reason or bargain with the police. It doesn't matter how friendly you appear, how much you cooperate, or how honest you think you are being, the police will not be swayed, charmed, or fooled into letting you off the hook. Now, I just want to add, there is the odd occasion where they let you off the hook. But that is very rare, especially more so nowadays, when there are more and more targets, more and more genders they have to fulfil. Back to the book. The police are not your friend or shouldn't or shoulder to cry on. They will not go easy once they hear your version of events, nor will anything you tell them be considered as off the record. There is no such thing as an informal chat with the police. From the government from the sorry from the moment you start talking, everything you say could be used as evidence against you and nothing you do or say afterwards can take back those words when in doubt stay silence your words as intel all police forces in the uk maintain their own independence databases consisting of intelligence information data collected usually by word of mouth or on members of the public that the police say have been they say they have been made aware of. And you don't have to be suspected terrorist or an active criminal to have intelligence files opened in your name. You don't even need a criminal record. The police will record intelligence on anything they think worthy of monitoring. Intelligence gathering is a common part of a police officer's job. Just want to add, which is why they, you watch all the videos on Bob Warner's website and you will know they persistently ask can we have your details can we have your details okay and the problem is they take them details they put them on their database and if you go to apply for a job that involves them having to do a check on you it will be on there that you have interacted with the police in some capacity within your life back to the book PCSOs police commissioner support officers who use a range of tactics to extract useful information from the community. 
the most common method of which is simply speaking to people. This could be through conversations with well-meaning locals who may genuinely be looking out for the interests of others. All too often, however, this is intelligence is nothing to more than idle gossip or vicious rumour and in many cases the person imparting the information has no idea what they are saying could be written down as intelligence information that may be inaccurate defamatory or even blatantly untrue <clears throat> irrespective of its accuracy and regardless of who said it, the police will report anything they hear in conversation that indicates criminal activity, even if it is just to update existing intelligence records or add further details to an existing profile. There is no information too trivial for the police to gather as intelligence, should they deem it significant. The information can be held indefinitely could be shared with outside agencies and could be used as a basis of an investigation should any allegations be made about the subject later. Worst of all, much of this data falls outside the provisions of the Data Protection Act and cannot be viewed or challenged by the person it is held against. Therefore, most people that appear on these intelligence files will have no idea of what information is being held on them you only have to check out your sorry you only have to take a look at the ico information commissioner's office website see what kind of information the police are registered to handle as data controllers which in turn reveals the type of intel they gather such as Details of your sex life, your political opinions, including political activities, details of your finances, where you bank, if you own credit cards, and how much money you make, employment details, where you work, or for who, how much you earn, details of your friends, family, members and associates, details of your lifestyle and your social activities, which pubs and clubs you frequent, which drugs you may be suspected of taking, your health, medical information and your mental health. This list is not exhaustive, exhaustive, that's a great word. In fact, there is very little information that the police won't consider recording, the rule being if it's significant, it's intel. Section 2. Your silence when the police stop you. Although the police are granted certain statutory powers to stop people in the streets or in their vehicles, you do not have to answer any of their questions, except where you name where your name and address is legally required. So, your, your, just to add, your, your, your name and address is legally required if you are being committed a crime, i.e. they're arresting you, or you've suspect, been suspected of committing a crime. 
or you have to give your details if you are stopped in a motor vehicle. Back to the book. Your right to remain silent is in respect of these powers is detailed below. Stop an account. Stop an account, also known as stop and question, is when a police officer or PCSO stops you and asks you what you are doing, where you are going or what you are carrying. You are not obliged to answer any of these questions, nor are you obliged to show them any identification or give them your name. All you should say is to ask if you are suspected of committing an offence or if they intend to arrest you. If the answer is no, then you are free to go and the officer cannot stop you from leaving but don't always expect the police officer to abide by this. According to the Home Office, stop an account is used to ally or confirm suspicions about individuals without exercising the police's power of arrest. But stop an account is commonly abused by the police as a screening process, stopping random people and asking them questions simply to establish guilt, and innocent people wrongly believe that if they refuse to answer, they will be forever detained or even arrested. So I just want to add to that, so if any police officer says you are detained when they have no legal right to detain you, that is unlawful imprisonment, okay? And they do not have to do any physical force on you, they just have to let you make you believe that if you leave, they will use physical force for, for in order for it to fall under unlawful detention. Back to the book. But although the police have the powers to stop you, they cannot detain you unless you have good cause unless they have good cause for doing so any officer that refuses to give a reason for detaining you or preventing you from leaving to st- a stop an account because you refer because you refuse to answer their questions is abusing his or her authority and should be reported i just want to add as well i do have a pdf of what to do if you want to complain to the police, which I will read in a further podcast at a further date. Stop and search. A police officer and some PCSOs, brackets, the power of PCSOs vary from force to force, have the power to stop and search you if they have reasonable grounds to suspect you're carrying something legal, illegal. The police can even search you without reasonable grounds, but only if it has been approved by a senior officer in advance. Now, I just want to add to this. That usually happens when the terrorist threat level has been raised to critical, to the highest um, level, which is you know usually after a, a terrorist threat has happened. Okay? Back to the book. However... Before the police can begin their search, they are obliged to tell you the following. Their name, collar number and police station. What they are looking for. The reason they have picked you to search. Why they are legally allowed to search you. The name and rank of the senior officer that has granted the authority to search. Brackets, if no 
reasonable grounds have been given. The police must also provide you with a written record of the search and if this isn't possible at the time, they must tell you how to, you can obtain a copy. Again, you don't have to tell them your name and address unless you are being arrested or reported for an offence. But obviously, if they're searching you and they find your driver's licence, they will take your name and details anyway. Back to the book. Otherwise, you have a right to remain silent and no suspicion of guilt should be implied from your refusal to answer questions. Silence when dealing with PCSOs. Although the police are often issued FPNs, brackets, fixed penalty notices, for summary offences, a large majority of them are handed out by police community support officers, brackets, PCSOs, whose powers are limited. PCSOs are not police officers are not warranted and do not have the power of arrest. However, when it comes to refusing to talk, it pays to be just as guarded with a PCSO as you would a police officer. If you are approached by any uninformed official, make, official making claims you have committed a summary offence such as speeding, littering, antisocial behaviour, etc., it would be why to avoid entering into any debate or discussion with them it could be that official that the official does not have enough evidence that you have committed the offence and is hoping that you will self-incriminate just like to add please feel free to google the difference between a summary offence Back to the book. A PCSO cannot arrest you. Most of them do not have the powers to restrain you. Some do not even have the powers to detain you. But this varies from force to force as the powers they are granted are determined by the local authority, not by the police themselves. If you are ever in doubt as to what powers of authority a PCSO has, then ask them. They cannot exaggerate or lie about the powers they have been granted, and to do so is an offence. Otherwise, you should ask to see their designation card. This is an identification card that PCSOs must carry when on duty to list all of the powers they have been granted by the local authority. Although many PCSOs do not have the power to detain you, if you refuse to stay, put, then they have reasonable cause to believe you have committed an offence or intended to commit one, then your attempt to make off would become a further offence, besides which the PCSO would most certainly radio for police assistance who could then come and arrest you. Remember, when it comes to your rights to silence, both the police and PCSOs can only demand your name and address if they attend to report you for an offence. Otherwise, you are not obliged to give them any information 
about yourself. Stopped in a vehicle. The rules for stop and search, stop and account and fixed penalty notices also apply to motorists and cyclists. The difference being that you are only obliged to stop if you are indicated to do so by an officer in uniform. Just wonder why this is very important. Okay. Um, I have a book about road traffic law and it's very important. It's in there and it states clearly that you can only be pulled over by a police officer in uniform. Okay. For obvious reasons. Okay. So always remember that. Always ask where's your uniform if you're pulled over by a police officer without uniform. Back to the book. Again, you are not obliged to answer any questions, but you are legally required to show any vehicle documents when asked. If you don't have them at the time you are stopped, then you may be asked to bring them to a police station within seven days. Section three, silence after arrest. Your right to silence after arrest is commonly misunderstood and often misinterpreted by both police and solicitors, particularly the rules of adverse inference, which many people wrongly interpret as meaning that if they don't answer police questions, their guilt will be automatically presumed by the court. But as explained below, your right to silence after arrest can still be maintained without affecting any subsequent defence in court. Your right to decline an interview. If you are arrested and taken to a police station, it is likely you will be interviewed. This interview will be recorded in a private room in the presence of the arresting officer who will have a prepared set of questions to put to you. These questions are for one purpose only, to establish your guilt, not to prove your innocence. Once the interview is concluded, a copy of the tapes, brackets or written statement should be handed to you. If you are subsequently charged and prosecuted, anything that you said on the recording or gave to, as a statement could be presented to the court as part of the prosecution's case. But what few people seem to realise is that you cannot be forced into taking a police interview, nor can you even be compelled to enter the interview room if you decline. However, the police can bring the interview to you into a cell or consultation room, sorry, consultation room, usually by fetching a portable tape recorder or transcribing the interview by hand. Again, you are not obligated to speak to the police and your refusal to do so cannot in itself be used as indication of your guilt. Can your silence be used against you? Adverse inference was written into the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act to prevent suspects from maintaining silence during arrest and then appearing in court with a carefully improvised defence. Having, having had months of silence since the arrest to come up with a story and perhaps test the prosecution's case. Should the police ask a specific question during the interview, 
such as, where were you on the night of the incident? And you refuse to answer. The judge, brackets and jury may, may take a dim view if you then give a detailed response to such a question in court. The judge could instruct the jury to draw an adverse inference from what you have said. In other words, you're probably lying. Just to add, you can always Google adverse inference for more details, a more detailed breakdown of what it means. Back to the book. However, the criteria applied to adverse inference is very strict and judges are extremely wary of of instructing the jury to disregard a defendant's account for fear of mistrial. The fact is adverse inference cannot be drawn just because a suspect does not answer police questions. It can only be drawn if the suspect chooses to offer facts in court he otherwise avoided disclosing in an interview. This is a subtle but very important point. The police commonly misinform interviewees that refusing to answer any question can be used against them when in the vast majority of cases it cannot. So to clarify, here are some general rules of adverse inference. Adverse inference only applies when you are being interviewed under caution. If you have not been arrested, then your silence cannot be used against you. Even if you have been arrested and the police ask questions, you have every right to refuse to answer if you have not been given the opportunity to have a solicitor present. Again, your refusal to answer police questions cannot be used against you. If the police don't ask certain questions, your lack of an answer cannot be used against you. For instance, if the, fail, if the police fail to ask if you are an acquaintance or a witness of a witness, but you state it in court, no ad- adverse inference can be drawn. If the question was never asked by the police at an interview, then there has been no refusal to answer. Adverse inference can be drawn where a reasonable person would expect the accused to mention facts which were relevant or might be relevant, such as why were you found with a prohibited weapon in your pocket. If you do or don't answer police questions during the interview, if you then refuse to give evidence in court, adverse interference cannot be drawn. If you give an account in court that differs substantially to the account you gave the police, this is in itself would not be enough to find you guilty. With no other evidence to prove your guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, adverse inference alone cannot be used to convict you. Simply put, you cannot be convicted of an offence solely because you failed to answer questions or submit information. Silence versus the written statement. Silence during interview is probably the surest method of avoiding self-incrimination. Furthermore, when a written statement is submitted in place of a verbal interview, then the rules of adverse interference are even less likely to apply. 
The reasoning behind this is that by making a written statement, you are showing a willing to assist the police inquiries without the risk of saying something that could be misconstrued or used to your detriment. Adverse inference cannot be drawn from a subject's silence when a written statement has been submitted in its place. However, should the statement fail to include obvious information, it should be reasonable to expect an explanation for, such as Where were your hands? Why were your hands covered in blood? Then again, adverse inference could still be drawn. The fact remains that the subject cannot expand on a statement he has given the police should he be brought to court. The overall substance of that written statement would then have to become the overall substance of the defence. Comments or no comments. Another common misconception about police interviews is how a subject should conduct themselves if they decide, brackets, or are advised not to answer police questions. As I already pointed out, you have the right to decline an interview, but in any cases, it may prove to your benefit to listen to the police whilst maintaining your silence. The reasoning behind this is simple. By listening to what questions the police are asking, you have a clear indication of the strengths and weaknesses of their existing evidence, as well as having the opportunity to find out exactly what allegations, brackets if any, have been made against you. Regardless of this, solicitors commonly advise interviewees to respond with no comments. After each police question, presumably to conclude the interview swiftly. But you are not obliged to state even those two simple words. When the interview begins, you don't even have to state your name. It is your decision and your right. To maintain total silence throughout the interview and let the police decide for themselves when to move on to the next question. Your refusal to state no comment will have no overall bearings on your silence should you decide not to communicate with the police in any way. The police can't force you to talk. Don't be fooled by what you may have seen in movies or on TV. The police cannot sweat a confession out of you. Just to add, if you've seen Making a Murder, then they often try, and they'll try it using loads of known psychological techniques. Back to the book. They cannot play good cop, bad cop, into charging Opposing the interview styles with different police officers, they can't deprive you of sleep or food, make threats, offer incentives or make deals. They can't even ask you the same question over and over in an attempt to break you. If the, if the police make any attempt to trick, threaten or bully answers from you, then their actions are likely to be regarded as oppressive. Not only would the officers concern be liable to a charge of misconduct the entire interview could be deemed as inadmissible by the court the guidelines of how lawful interviews should be conducted are set out within the police and criminal evidence act as as well as within the police's own code of conduct see references just want to add to that as well i've also got on pdf form a copy of the police 
officer's handbook on pace which if if anybody would like me to go over that in the future i will gladly do so back to the book if you believe that the, that the police officer acted in a manner that breaches their authority you should make a complaint about the officers concerned The police must not lie to you. Another misconception people have about police interviews is that officers can lie to you in an attempt to coerce an admission or to a confession out of you. Again, I want to add, watching the videos that you will watch on his website, you will see they often do that. You know, and they are lying under oath. They swear an oath and they are lying under oath, which is malfeasance in a public office. And... Yeah, which is why I always say, always record them. Back to the book. If a police officer tells you something which he knows to be untrue or is intentionally misleading, and this could undermine the entire interview to the police's detriment. A police officer must never attempt to deceive or lie to you in an interview room. He cannot tell you that your friend has told them everything or that they have CCT evidence where the, where none exists. Just to add, you know, you see that a lot in movies where they play one off the other and they say, confess, obviously, I don't know what the laws are in, in America, but over here, they cannot do that. Back to the book. But this often doesn't stop the police from deploying other under handed methods in an attempt to loosen tongues, such as hinting to a colleague that they are about to interview an anomalous witness who saw the whole thing, or brandishing evidence bags that contains dummy tapes or blank media in the hope that the interviewee will believe the police have vital audio or video evidence. If you ever hear the police make such comments without within earshot, then ask that they repeat them. Ask to see the custody sergeant or superior officer and repeat the comments that you have heard, demanding that they are entered onto the custody record or incident log. Just to add also, don't remember, don't forget that these these um, interviews should always be recorded by them. Back to the book. If such comments are made within range of CCTV, in a police station and they would be accessible by way of subject access request. You could request a copy of any audio captured by the CTV that references yourself. Self-incrimination. Another common misconception is that an individual's rights to not self-incriminate, meaning you have a right to remain silent if you do if to do otherwise could mean admitting to a criminal act. This is known as the privilege against self-incrimination, brackets, PSI. However, this absolute right to silence is, un un sorry, is a universal privilege of American law. In England, Scotland and Wales, your rights to not self-incriminate only apply within civil cases. Again, I want to add, please look the difference between civil law and criminal law, common law and legislative law. Google it. I will have future books help you learn about this. 
for future podcasts. Back to the book. Civil proceedings can be brought against a person by an individual or an organisation, usually in the pursuit of a monetary claim or for compensation, such as claims for unpaid parking fines, debts owed, unfair dismissal and negligence. Criminal proceedings, on the other hand, are proceedings brought against an individual on behalf of the state. The indictable offences and accusation of having committed a crime such as assault, burglary, harassment and theft. If faced with questions within a civil court that could bring about an admission of a criminal act, which could in turn lead to criminal proceedings being brought against you, then you have a right to refuse to answer those questions. This right to silence does not apply within criminal proceedings, whereby the accused could just pick and choose which questions they wanted to answer. Another reason why adverse inference is so important within criminal proceedings, but rarely applicable within civil cases. Even when reporting a crime, say little. When it comes to reporting crime, you may think that showing verbal restraint matters less. After all, if you are a victim of crime or witness to it, then surely the police will only be speaking to you to bring charges against someone else. Again, I'd like to add, there's many videos on YouTube showing where the person who has made the call have been arrested unlawfully. So you be aware of these. Back to the book. That may be true in principle, but what would happen if the suspect then made a counter-allegation naming you? Any statement that you give to the police as victim or witness could be used as evidence against you if a counter-allegation is made. This is especially significant when somebody makes a report of harassment. It's common for someone accused of harassment to make the same claim against the victim, often out of spite. Also, because the police can issue harassment warnings without having to prove the substance of the allegations, they could easily serve the same warning notice on the victim as the aggressor. For the police, counter-allegations are an easy way to close criminal investigations without having to pursue further inquiries and for that reason alone they are often keen to encourage them. First the police will take a lengthy statement from the victim. They may then visit or arrest the aggressor and put those allegations to him. This may result in them taking a statement from the aggressor and give them a clear opportunity to make counter-allegations. The police then return to the victim and use this as a form of berating, or sorry, a form of bartering, suggesting to the victim that if they pursue charges, then the aggressor will pursue charges against them. A shady practice that the police all too commonly employ to downgrade or dispense of allegations as well as close criminal cases in haste. It stands to reason that the more you report, about someone else, the more unnecessary information you could impart about yourself. 
then if the person you report chooses to make a counter allegation you may find yourself becoming the suspect where you originally saw yourself as a victim so um, just to add so basically he's not saying do not report crimes but just obviously just be very wary of what you say and do when you are making the report back to the book how to Brackets not talk to the police as summary. Like it or not, we will all encounter the police at some point in our lives. Some more often than others. However, regardless of why such encounters may occur, it always pays to be cautious and guarded or over everything you say to the police. Choose your silence widely. You may have a right to silence, but there may be some obvious instances where absolute silence may be impractical, illogical or even impossible. Such as when there is an immediate risk of danger or you are re reacting to surprise to the police officer's presence or their allegations. The best way to engage the police in a, in a, is in a confident but detached manner. If you choose to say anything and don't enter into an argument, don't raise your voice and don't make insults. Just want to add, the police will look for you to get aggregated, for you to get aggressive, so they can then arrest you for public order offences or for breach of the peace. So be careful. Back to the book. Regardless, if they are disrespectful, rude or threatening, don't let them arouse your emotions and goad you into talking. Always show a willing to confront to to conform to an, or any lawful request a police officer makes, but politely and strenuously decline to comply with all unlawful demands. Okay, just to add, you can look at what these lawful and unlawful demands are online, and I will obviously post future books and podcasts in the future that will help you understand these. Back to the book. If you've ever been the victim of police abuse and you may find it very difficult not to display hostility or express your disapproval but to do so nearly always means violating your silence besides which the police may attempt to delay your detention and intensify their scrutiny remember when it comes to not talking to the police it's better to offer no excuse than a bad one 